Good morning. Is everybody uh, glad the sun's out finally and it seems like there's some warmer weather? Was anybody freaked out over the tornadoes that did not happen? <laughs> I, heard, I heard it happened in some areas around, but it seemed like there was like an apocalypse that was about to happen here in the St. Louis area and everybody's calling off schools and everybody was hiding and I heard there's people in toilets with, with uh, or not toilets, bathtubs, hiding in bathtubs with their uh, blankets and towels and, and all this stuff ready to go. Um, and it never came, you know. Um, I don't, I, I'm, I'm one of those Midwest guys. You guys ever seen like those TikToks or those videos where it's like, if you really know you're from the Midwest, and there's like a giant tornado and then the dude's just sitting outside and his boxers just kind of watching it go off while the rest of the family's inside. That's the kind of guy that I am whenever I see that big storms are coming. Um, but I'm glad that everybody was safe from the storms. I'm glad that uh, you guys were able to be here with us today. Um, I'm glad that spring is finally here. Uh, it's been a long time coming. Uh, but uh, welcome to Crossings Church. My name's Jake, and uh, I'm so excited that you guys are here. Uh, I had an announcement for you guys. Next Saturday is our first glow-in-the-dark Easter egg hunt. Um, and we are super excited about this. And like I say every time I preach, my encouragement to you is to write this information down. We actually have tickets that you guys can register online for, so it's a speedier process when you guys show up. So there's a link there for you guys that have kids in those ages. If you want to get them signed up sooner than, than, than later, that would be great. But my challenge to you is to take this card, write all the information down, and then give it to somebody else. Give to somebody who has kids in that age range or who knows of kids in that age range because this is probably the third or fourth time I've said this, which means you've gotten three or four of these, which means if everybody's done that, that could be over a thousand people that we could have invited. Um, just extra to um, our church for this. And so I'm excited about this to see what happens from it. I'm excited of potentially the fruit that could come from it. I'm excited of the faces that could show up and potentially come to church the next day for Easter Sunday. I know a lot of families and a lot of uh, groups tend to come on Easter Sunday or the Christmas service. That's the big Sunday, you know? And so uh, I'm not a fan of families that only come once a year, but if they are going to come once a year, why not come to the Crossings Church? You know, why not come check us out and visit us because there might be something said or heard that might change a family from going from a one Sunday a year to a one Sunday a week. And uh, that is our whole hope and intention with Easter Sunday this year. So please invite away. Please be present with your children uh, if you have kids. Uh, in those age ranges, and we'll be excited to see what happens there. I also need to bring my man Dante up. Come on, man. So, Dante's been coming around a while now, and he studied the Bible with Aaron and Craig. Wherever you guys are at, put a little hand up real quick. Um, I'm excited for you, not just because you're becoming a member of our church, but because you're going to be in my small group, man. So, uh, Godspeed. Okay, it's gonna be. Good. <laughs> it's gonna. It's gonna be. Yeah, you're lost. Uh, Craig's gonna walk through that with you, and we're excited that you're here, man. Give him one more hand. Uh, grateful that you're here. It's always awesome when somebody gets baptized and surrenders their life to Christ. Um, it's it's even more exciting when it's done at a young age, you know, because as you walk through life, as you guys. I know have gotten older, you probably look back at your lives and you say, man, I wish I would have made this decision a lot sooner. You know, there's a lot of regret that maybe goes along with that or a lot of things that might have went differently in life. But it's so exciting and encouraging to see such a young crowd of, of disciples in high school and in college deciding to, to continue to change their lives. And it's cool because here at the Crossings Church, we actually have multiple Crossings Churches. 
Um, we have about four of us now. And we kind of partner together with our sermons and we get together as a group of our leadership throughout the week and we talk about what's going on in our churches. And it's cool because we hear about the baptisms that are happening in the other churches. And one of the things that I'm so excited about is almost every Sunday uh, we, we are seeing, at least in one of our four churches, somebody's getting called up to the stage because they've been baptized. Um, I was looking at some, some things over my notes at somebody else's video sermon that they did earlier this week and I got to see them call a couple people up. And it just seems like in the Crossing Church, for you guys that have, that you know about the Crossing Church, you know about what we believe in and what we, what we stand for, we are getting very close to getting to that point, like it talks about in Acts, that we are adding to our numbers almost daily. I know we're adding weekly because I see what's going on on our different sermons through our different churches. But to imagine the more we grow, the more we plant churches, that it's going to be very obvious here in the Crossing Churches that we are going to be adding to our number daily. And Dante, you are just one of those, you know, one of those weekly people that's essentially going to change your life to change another person's life, that it's going, to, it's going to turn into a snowball effect that we will find daily disciples. And that's something that excites me. I don't know about you, but that really does excite me to know that's the direction that we're going in. Um, so we're going to jump into the series or the sermon today, and we've actually been going through a series on the kingdom. And we're going to talk today about something a little different, but we're still going to have the kingdom in mind. But today we're going to be talking about failure. We're going to be talking about recovering from a fall um, because I think it's something that we need to talk about in our Christian faith because we are a bunch of failures. <laughs> um, I, hate, I hate if that's the way that you thought you were going to come into the church and, and be encouraged and be like, man, you're awesome. You're the best. Like, that's not what I'm going to talk about today. You know, uh, you're going to be talked about about how you mess up, about how I mess up, about how we make mistakes. And I think that is one of the biggest indications of a true Christian living in their truth faith is that they have the willingness to talk about their failures. You see, there are so many fake churches in the world right now that when you walk into a congregation on a Sunday morning, they act like everything's okay. They act like everything is sunshine, everything, there's no problems in their families, there's no problems in their marriages, there's no problems in life. And it literally contradicts what the Bible says because literally scripture says, in this world you will have trouble. In this world, you will have problems. In this world, you will mess up. In this world, you will fail. It's just the way of the Christian faith. And here at the Crossings Church, we don't want to ignore that. We want to accept it and realize what we need to do with it. Because I believe if you try to ignore failures and you try to put them to the side and you don't really deal with them and you don't really know how to bounce back from them, failures are things in lives that can haunt us for the rest of our lives. The failures that we go through in life can hold us back from really having the power that God is wanting us to have for the rest of our life. It can change an entire marriage the way that we choose to fail and how we deal with it. It can change a friendship, a relationship. It can change the way that we choose to apply ourselves in school. It can change the way that we choose to go into work. Literally, failure is a part of the Christian faith. They have to go hand in hand because we're imperfect. We're imperfect people. And if you're still one of those people that says, no, no, I, I don't fail. You know, I'm, I'm pretty good at it. You know, I'm pretty good at life. I'm pretty good at keeping my stuff in order. I got all my ducks in a row. Well, even in Mark 14, 50, it says at that point, all of his disciples ran away and abandoned him. And this is talking about right before, right, right, right after Jesus was arrested, his disciples were in the garden with him. And this is the point where all of his disciples chose to abandon him and leave. And I don't know about you, but I feel like if I was connected to Jesus like, and I physically saw him, my faith would be greater. 
Would yours not? Like if Jesus was here and you got to walk through life with him and you got to see these miracles, would that not enhance your faith so much that you would be willing to fight tooth and nail to stay around him, to be with him, to defend him, to live with him? And these disciples got that opportunity. And yet still in Jesus' most dire moment, they fail. They leave. They abandon him. And so I don't know about you, but I would like to think that if, if the disciples with their kind of faith in their window with Jesus literally right next to them, how much more am I feeling and I don't have that closeness to Jesus like they did physically or intimately like they may have? And so if it's a proof that the disciples failed and they definitely messed up and they had, there was a fall, it can only be obvious that there is something going on in my life too that I failed with. And it can only be obvious that there's something in your guys' lives too that you can look at. It might have been a relationship that ended poorly because of something that you had done. It might be the way that you and your family interact with each other because of the failures of the upbringing or the way that certain people have treated you. It may be the failures of a marriage and the ways that things are going and you're just not happy with where things are at in life. It may be the failures of an addiction, of something that you've just gotten yourself caught up in and you're just like, I don't know how to get out of this. It could be some big failures like that, but it could be small failures in just day-to-day lifestyle. It could be just selfishness. The failure of just doing what you want to do versus what God wants. It could be the failure of pride and not bringing people in because you choose to want to do what you think you need to do and you're too afraid to bring people into that. Literally, failure can come in so many different faces. But the one reality is is that through Scripture, it's very evident that we all fail in some area of life. But we need to know that there is a way to recover from that. We need to know that there is a way to bounce back from that. Because we can't land and focus on our failures, and we can't just live by failure, but God wants us to understand that he can help us recover from failure and recover from a fall. And that's what we're going to talk about today, um, is we're going to talk about four different steps and four different realities that God (coughs) helps us recover from a fall. And if you guys want to pull out in your notes, there is a, uh, a set of notes if you guys would like to follow along with us today. Uh, we'll, we'll have the bullets up on the, on the screen and the verses as well. And so we encourage you guys to pull that out and kind of follow along with us today. So if we're going to jump into this, first and foremost, God will help me recover from a fall as, number one, I reflect on the validity of my faith. I reflect on the validity of my faith. See, the entire Christian faith is circulated around the, uh, around the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There are so many different, uh, there are so many different religions, there are so many different people on earth that say, if you can debunk the resurrection, you debunk the Christian faith. If you can figure out a way to prove that this never happened and it's not legitimate, then it completely washes out the Christian faith. And we have to know that we stand by what we believe in Scripture. That Scripture says things and we believe that it has to be true. And the disciples had to figure that out just as as we did. In Acts 1, verses 1 through 3, it says, In my former book, Theopolis, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles. After his suffering which is talking about his resurrection, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. 
So I'm not going to get too in-depth with this because this is something we're probably going to be talking about next week with Easter Sunday. We're going to be talking about the validity of the resurrection. We're going to be talking about the faith in itself and what it looks like and why we can believe in it and why it's so true. We're going to look at history. We're going to look at those kind of things. Um, but in, in Acts, and Luke's talking here, he's saying he presented them and he gave very convincing proofs. He proved that this was real. He proved that he was alive. You know, Thomas doubted, and he didn't wait for Thomas to doubt him. He showed Thomas, said, look at my hands. Look at the nails. This really happened. I was resurrected. And we have to understand that there is a truth in the resurrection, that if the resurrection really happened, then my faith should be valid. I have to believe in the resurrection. I have to believe in that to have the faith that I can continue to have. And the disciples had to understand that as well because the resurrection changed Peter. You know, outside of Judas, Judas was obviously the ultimate betrayer. Judas was the one who chose to, to give Jesus up, and Judas was the one who, in his own guilt and shame, chose to commit suicide after those actions. But the next person that I could think about in that line of disciples that I'm like, man, he really dropped the ball, was Peter. Because if you, if you don't know about Peter, Jesus calls him out and says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. You're, you're going you're gonna to decide to say, I don't know him. You're going you're gonna to deny who I really am three times. But Jesus brought this up at a moment in their relationship where there was no reason for Peter to think that he would ever do anything like that. And so Peter's like, no, 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 no way. No way am I going to deny you. And he even kind of throws the other disciples on the bus. He's like, maybe they, maybe they might do something like that, or maybe somebody else will, but I will never. And so it's not just enough for Peter to say that he's not going to do it. But then when he does do it, the kind of failure that must have set in in Peter's heart. You see, we fail all the time, right? We make mistakes all the time. But I don't think any of us has ever physically looked at Jesus in the eyes and said, I will not do that. You are wrong. And then we go along and do it. So the kind of guilt and shame that Peter must have had in that failure must have completely destroyed his faith. And what we have to realize is just like Peter did, that there is something about the story of the resurrection that can change the way we view our faith because of the validity of what it can bring to our lives. Because that same Peter, that same guy that failed so horribly in his life and his relationship with Jesus, later on in 2 Peter 1.16 says this, same guy says, when we told you about the power of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, we didn't follow any clever myths. Rather, we were eyewitnesses. Now, the same guy who, was, who completely betrayed Jesus, who completely just threw him under the bus, he says, I'm not trying to make this stuff up. We're not just trying to throw this clever, this clever faith together that makes people feel good about lives and then they die and they think that there might be somewhere good to go, but we don't really know if it's going to happen or not. He says, I was there. I saw it. I was an eyewitness. And it changes the way that Peter chooses to live in the book of Acts moving forward in the New Testament in the first century. You see, there was a certain way and feeling that Peter had about what Jesus was and who he was before he died, but then there was something completely different that Jesus believed in his faith, or that Peter believed in his faith about Jesus after he came back. And that can only lead to what the resurrection can be for our lives. 
what the death on the cross can be and what it means to us. And I want us to, I want us to plan on that for a minute today because I, I want you guys to really understand that knowing Jesus is not as much as powerful as knowing that Jesus died and came back. A lot of people know Jesus. They know the story of Jesus. They believe in Jesus. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they believe in the power of the faith that happened through the resurrection. Because the disciples found that out the hard way. Because they all failed. Because they all left. But the disciples completely changed the world after that. They completely changed their view and perspectives of that. And so what we're going to do here for a minute is we're going to take communion. And I want us to really think about this idea of the crucifixion. The idea of the sacrifice that really happened in our lives for us because that sacrifice, that death on a cross, was meant to bring about a power in our lives to be able to look at ourselves and say, that was true, that really happened, and because of the faith that I have and how valid it was that that was a resurrection that happened, I can change the way I view my life. But that can only happen when we remember the sacrifice. So I'm going to say a prayer. We're going to take communion. And I want you to think about the power of the resurrection and the sacrifice that had to be made for that resurrection to happen so we can have the lives that we have today. Let's pray. God, I just want to thank you so much for the opportunity to have that kind of power, God. I know a lot of times we, th- we, we remember you dying on the cross and we think about how how, how great of a sacrifice that was. But sometimes, God, we don't, we don't focus as much on the resurrection in itself as well and how much power that was brought through that. And God, I think sometimes we, we, we wait in our weakness and we wait in our failures and we see the things that happen through the sacrifice and we, we feel a guilt, we feel a shame, and, and we feel convicted as we should. But God, there's also a great power that comes with the story of the cross. There's a great power that comes with the, the, the dying on a cross and that's... <clears throat> honestly, to know that you have the power to come back. You have the power to die and be raised again. And that should encourage us to have the same kind of power in our lives to work on our failures. If you're willing to do that for yourself and you're willing to do that for us, then only we should be able to know that we have the power to change our lives as well because of the power that you have for us. And I pray in your son's name. Amen. We have to reflect on the validity of our faith if we're going to recover from this fall. The second thing we need to do is that God will help me recover from a fall as I expect Jesus to work in me before I expect him to work through me. If I'm going to recover from this fall, I have to expect Jesus will work in me before I expect him to work through me. See, after Jesus died, he came back, and it says in Acts 1-3, it says he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, if you think about that, like, why in the world would Jesus come back and talk about the kingdom of God? Like, his disciples completely just abandoned him. He just betrayed him, right? And he comes back, and he's like, hey, look, see, I'm the real deal. Now I'm going to spend the next 40 days talking about the kingdom of God. Now, a lot of people, when we talk about the kingdom of God, and you guys have been around the church for a little while, know that we've talked about a different meaning of the kingdom of God, but most people view the kingdom of God as just heaven, talking about after we die. 
And that wouldn't make any sense right here, right? Because I'm like, you guys just completely failed. So I'm going to spend the next 40 days talking about heaven for when, when you die one day. You know, that's not, I don't think that's exactly what Jesus would want to talk about. I don't think that that's the intention that he would come and talk to his disciples about. It's like, hey, let's talk about heaven. Let's talk about something that's going to happen way down the road. Because honestly, that would probably make me feel more guilty. Dude, I just failed. And you're talking about this place that I'm probably not going to be able to go to because I just failed. You know, like, and I got to hear about this for 40 days. Like, I don't think that that is what the kingdom of God is. And if you've been around the church the last couple of weeks, you understand that we know that's not what he's talking about here. Because the kingdom of God, if you look through scripture, you find out very quickly that it is not talking about just heaven one day that we will go to, but it's talking about a kingdom that has already been established here on earth. That there is a kingdom that we can be a part of right now. And when you think about it like that, this makes way more sense. For Jesus to come and spend the next 40 days talking to his disciples about the kingdom that they can be in right now. And the, and the kingdom that they can live in right now. And I think that the reason he talks about this because we understand that the kingdom, to be a part of that kingdom, means there has to be complete surrender of power. This kingdom that God has established here on earth with his disciples, with the people that are called Christians, with the people that are true believers, it, 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 it means that we have to have a full surrender of our life. We don't just join a church and become a member of a church and we're instantly a part of a kingdom. We don't just go underneath some water and instantly become a part of a kingdom because it starts internally with the surrender of our hearts. It starts internally with us saying, that we do no longer want to rule and reign in our lives, Jesus and, and, and God have to take ownership and lordship of our lives to be a part of the kingdom. Nothing externally can make that happen until we have surrendered internally. And I don't think the disciples completely understood that until he came back. You see, because there was a lot of confusion and a lot of questions with the disciples whenever Jesus was still around, and a lot of them might have believed that Jesus was here to make this kingdom happen by overthrowing the Roman government and saying Jesus is going to sit on the throne in Rome and we're going to live in this kingdom because he's going to overthrow these Roman soldiers and this government and, and God's kingdom is going to be established here. And only after the resurrection, they finally understand the idea that he was talking about the kingdom did not mean a physical overthrowing of a physical government to build a physical kingdom, but that this kingdom was going to show up in our hearts first. And that's how God was going to distinguish the people in his kingdom versus the people that aren't in his kingdom. We had to unplug from our power and plug into God's power to be truly in his kingdom. You know, we do this event, uh, we do this event at, uh, at SIUE called Fall Fest every fall. Um, and it's a huge event. And over the last couple of years, it's gotten larger and larger. Like the first year we did it when we came on this church plant, there was like maybe, I don't know, maybe we had like 80 or 100 people show up to this thing. Well, this last year we had over 1,000 students show up to this thing. And it was, one of the, it was probably the largest event on SAU's campus that they have had in years because COVID took a huge hit on the college campuses. And the, the chancellor was out here and he was like, this is insane. Like we want this to happen every single year at this university. Like, and it was a big, big event. Um, but as the campus ministry that hosts it, 
for us, it's a, it's a big, big task to continue to, con- to bring the things to make it happen. And so we have to rent generators to make sure that we have lights out there and that the lights can fuel the other lights that we have, that we have string lights out there. And then we had crock pots out there this year, uh, Wes and, and, and then brought some pulled pork and things like that. But what I did not realize, because we did pulled pork this year as a new thing with crock pots, is that the generator would not pool the electricity for its own lights plus our extra lights plus the crock pots. Because we never had crock, we never had the crock pots or the roasters before. And so sure enough, it's starting to get towards dusk, and we start, you know, Wes shows up with the stuff and we plug it in, and boom, our lights go out. And I'm like, we gotta make a choice. Are we gonna feed people cold pulled pork or are we gonna let them see. <laughs> like, I didn't really know what I was going to do. And I'm like, we've never had this problem. And we're like, well, what if we plug it in this way? And we couldn't really figure it out. We're like, well, we, it can handle one roaster, but we can't plug in two or something like that. Like, we, we, were, we didn't really know what we were going to do. And I was watching this. I was getting super stressed. And I was like, dude, I thought this generator was going to be able to contain all this stuff. But the reality was that, that generator did not have the power to get it done. And I think a lot of times in our lives, We are that generator. And we can only have so much power that we can give out on our own accord. But the reality is that the life that we live in, the world that we live in, plugs into us so much that we can only handle so much. And just like that generator, because we actually got one of those big ones that have the giant lights, it looked good on the outside. But then sure enough, Reggie Collins shows up this little rinky-dink one, and that thing is kicking out, like, that thing is kicking out so much more power, and we can, we can splice into that. And it, I was like, how is this little thing able to control what this giant thing cannot, you know? And I learned, you know, there's an illustration there that even, even our outside appearances can fool what's really going on on the inside. That the reality is that, that generator was never going to change the, the, the amount of power it was going to be able to output no matter how big or how nice it looked. And I think just like Peter here had to understand, and just like we do, is the world puts things into us. The world plugs into us. And out of our own power, we can only contain and control so much. And the stress only gets larger as we get older. You guys know that who are a little bit older in the crowd. You think high school's hard? Wait till you get to college. Am I right, college students? You think college is hard? Wait till you get a full-time job, right, adults? Yeah. You, think, you, think, you think a job is hard? Wait till you get married, right, married folks? Yeah. You think marriage is hard? Wait till you have kids, right, parents, yeah. right? Wait till you have grandkids, right, grandparents? Like, it just keeps going. You think this high school's hard you just got plugged into? Wait till college plugs into you. Wait till parenting plugs in. Like, and we start plugging all these different things into us, and at some point in our own power, we will fail. We will crash, and a sin will show up. Maybe it's selfish ambition. Maybe it's arrogance, and things start crashing, and they don't work the way they used to, and our marriage is in shambles. We're about to get kicked out of school, or we get fired from our job, or we have all these different little things. Alcohol used to fix it. Let's pour some of that on the generator and see if it fixes it, right? That's never going to fix a generator. And we choose, to, we choose to think that, okay, well, I just got to figure out how to get more power because then I can handle more. And we try different things, and it never works. 
That's how the disciples viewed the kingdom before Jesus talked about the real kingdom. And he said, listen, you will never on your own be able to gain the power that you need because you are not capable of changing the power you can put out. And there's only one power that you can put within you that will let you handle all of the things the world's trying to plug into you. And that's my power. That's God's power. But you only get that if you are in the kingdom. You cannot splice power, sure. You can't say, I want that and my power. I want to do what I want to do and do what you want me to do. That's not how it works. That's not the message of the kingdom. That's not what Jesus spent 40 days speaking to his disciples about before he left again. He wanted them to understand that there is a different power that they have, to, they have to plug into. Ephesians 1, 19 through 20 says, Let them see the full extent of your power, talking about God's power, that is at work in those of us who believe. And it may be done according to your might and power. Friends, it is the same power and resurrection power that he used in the anointed one to raise him from the dead. Once again, we are circling back to the resurrection, the power that comes from that. But there's a key thing here, guys, and we talked about this a second ago. You don't get that power just because you come to church. You don't get that power because you had an emotional high one day you got baptized. You don't get that power because you're consistent in your small groups or you're consistent in reading your Bible or you're consistent in praying. That's not how you get the, bio, that's not how you get the power. The power is the authentic church, the authentic kingdom he's talking about, which means that the power shows up because of how your heart looks. Not any external extremities that you try to put into practice, no matter how cool you make your generator look and how big it looks on the outside because you're always at church and you're always reading your Bible and you're always praying. But in your heart, if you have not changed and surrendered your life to God and you don't treat people and love people the way that God has called you to, if you don't act and live the way that God has called you to, then you are fooling everyone because you don't have God's power in you. You're still only limited to the amount of power that you can put out yourself. You have not brought God in. It's only at work in those of us who believe, truly in our hearts. In Ephesians 4.20, it says, Now to the God who can do so many awe-inspiring things, immeasurable things, things greater than we could ever ask or imagine, through the power at work, not around us, the power at work in us. You see, we beg and plead so much in life for God to change the things around us. How many times have you prayed, God, just please fix my marriage? Please change my marriage? Or God, please help me with this addiction? Please help me with this, with this thing I'm caught on, this thing I'm stuck in in my life? God, please help me. And we want God to change the extremities and the externals around us, but we don't understand that that will never happen until we first are changed from within. God will not fix your marriage until he fixes you. God will not fix your attitude until he fixes your heart. God will not fix your family until he fixes your surrender problem. And so many times we want God to jump in and fix the things that are plugged into us, but he, we never ask him to fix the power problem. 
And I think so many times we get caught up on that. Because the reality is, is God would never do that because if he fixed everything around us, then that means we would just still choose to act and live the way that we wanted to. Oh, thanks for fixing my marriage, God. I'm still going to be selfish, though. But we're happy now. I can do what I want to do. Because then it's just going to be a spiraling we're right back in the square one. You know, we're fighting in the first place because I was selfish. Now fix it again so I can be selfish some more. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. In every area of our life, we have to plug into a different type of power. And like I said, I don't think the, I don't think the disciples understood that. Even in Luke 17, verses 20 and 21, it says, Some of the Pharisees asked Jesus, these are, Now here's some religious people asking the same question. When will the kingdom of God come? They're wanting to know when. And Jesus' answer says, God's kingdom is coming, but not in a way that you will be able to see with your eyes. The kingdom's not going to come on the externals. People will not say, look, here it is, there it is. Because God's kingdom is within you. You see, God's plan is that he's going to work in us first. And that's my challenge and question to you today. Are you letting God work within you first? Or are you sitting around waiting for God to fix all the failures around you so you can have a better life? Because us as humans, we think that if everything around us changes, we get the better life. But God's view is, you want a better life, let me change your heart. And you will view everything around you in a better way. That's the way that God wants us to view recovering from a fall. Thirdly, um, I connect with the people God has placed in my life. I connect with the people that God has placed in my life. If God's going to help, me refer, if God's going to help us recover from a fall, we're going to need people. We're going to need his people. In Acts 1, we see this a couple times, and God reveals three powerful connection tools that he has used. <clears throat> And one of those, the first thing is, is that he connects me as I take on a grander purpose. He connects me as I take on a greater purpose in my life. In Acts 1, 7 and 8, it says, He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set in his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, it kind of says here, like, it's not for you to know these other things. It's not, you don't need to know this stuff. What you need to know is you're going to receive power and you're going to have a job to do. That's what he says. And I think sometimes we're just like these apostles and we get caught up looking for answers that we cannot know. Looking for answers that we don't need to know. Have you ever gotten to like a theological debate with somebody, like a really, like a depth of like Bible knowledge and like a big fight about like if dinosaurs existed? <laughs> have you ever had that fight with somebody? Because I have and it's frustrating. Like I don't, I don't, I'm not even going to say how I view because then you'll be like, well, what does it say about this? Well, where's the scripture on this? Where's it back up? Because like, how do we know? But even if we do know and you can find things in scripture that maybe there's truth to that, what does it change? Really, what does it change? If I know that one day there was a T-Rex on this earth, is it going to change anything about what I'm supposed to do with the rest of my life? It's not. 
And so many times, Christians get so caught up in these questions that we don't have the answers for, but we don't really need the answers for. Because it's not going to change anything about what God wants us to do with the rest of our lives, which we do have the answers for. And we can waste so much time searching for answers that we don't know or we don't need to know at the expense of doing the things that we certainly do know we need to do with our lives. And that's kind of what he says here. He says, it's not for you to know the times and the dates. That, like, you don't need to know this stuff that God has got set up because it's not your role to have the knowledge. It's your role to do the application. And I'll tell you how to do that. And that's all over the Bible. The application's there. The knowledge for that is there. But the knowledge sometimes we get so caught up on. I'll say, you know, I'll say something that might be uh, not fun to hear. I actually, I, um, I think counseling is great. I think the church here is counseling. I think that we have these things. But I think people who go to counseling to get counseling for the sole reason to figure out why they are the way that they are go for the wrong reasons. So many people want to know why they're messed up. So many people want to know the why of why I am this way. Why am I an addict? Why do I do this? And I think that there is some good in that. I'm not dismissing counseling and I'm not dismissing what it can do. But I am going to say a very stern point that if that is the only reason that you want counseling is just to know the why, you've missed the whole point of what counseling is meant to do for your life. You see, counseling is meant to help you find the why so you can do the how. And I think a lot of times we let the, the unknowns of why I am the way that I am waste my life so I will never do the things that I know I should do. I just feel this way, and I don't know why I feel this way, and i got to know why I feel this way. I know that's what I need to do, but I spend so much time on figuring out why I am the way that I am, and I know, that, I, know I need to do that, but why am I like this? And I'll get to that, but i, I got to know why. And then five years and 10 years and 20 years goes by, and we still don't know why. And we put that stuff on hold that God says, listen, these are things that you need to do with your life. One of the biggest things I've always told people that struggle with, I don't know why, the best advice you can give somebody is to connect them to a greater purpose. I don't know why you're so selfish, but you know what will help? If you start serving. I don't know why you're depressed. We can talk about that and work on that, but you know what will help with your depression? Going out and doing things with other people. You know, counseling that doesn't give application isn't really counseling. It's just talking. If you go to counsel just to, just to talk but never to change, that's the same thing like church. It's, this is literally counseling right now. We can sit here and talk about why we are the way that we are. We're humans. We fail. We're sinners. Now we kind of know a little bit of the why. But if you don't leave and do something with this, it's a wasted counseling session. <laughs> like, that's literally what it is. Counseling's meant to help us do something greater with our lives. Whether that be in a church setting, whether that be with a therapist, whether that be with a one-on-one -on -one sit down, everything that you do to talk about your life to figure out the whys is meant to be something that helps you figure out how to do the hows that you already know. And that's what God tells his disciples. He says, you may not ever know this stuff, but you know exactly what you need to do. 
And I think that there was some truth and some reasoning in that because I think God understands more than we do that when we do the things we know we need to do, it helps us with the questions. It helps us feel better about the whys. I don't know why my dad died. I don't know why my dad abandoned me. I never got to figure out those questions because my dad's no longer here in my life. But I'll tell you one thing I know I'm not going to do is waste years like I used to thinking about the whys and figuring out the whys because I know exactly what, my, what I need to do with my life to be a better dad than he was. I know those things because Scripture tells me. Now, I did get some counseling, and I did have some people sit down with me and talk with me about things in my life, about my dad and things that helped me. But you best believe they were giving me application on how to not repeat the cycle. They were giving me support and encouragement and connecting me to people that could help me realize that there was something that God had in, in greater store for me. And I did have those moments in life where I kind of broke down, and I was like, I just don't know why. Why, why did my dad abandon me? Why did my dad leave? And then I had daughters. I had three daughters. And I was like, how can my dad ever do that to kids? Like, and, it, it, and it kept resurfacing in my life. This wasn't just like a one-time thing. But I will never know the answers to those questions. But I know exactly what I don't need to waste my time on is finding the answers to those questions because it will put my life and my kids' life at stake. We can't let those things control us because there is a greater purpose that God is connected to. My greater purpose is not to connect to the answers of the why my dad did what he did. My greater purpose is to make sure I raise my kids in a way that my dad didn't. You know? And I've forgiven my dad. Maybe there's some stuff going on in his life. Maybe he was chasing some why questions that he never figured out. And because of that, he treated me the way that he did. I don't know. But I've forgiven that and I've moved past that. And I've realized that there's something much greater God has gotten in store for my life. And I think if you guys look at your lives and think about the same why questions, connect yourself to a greater purpose as you look through those questions and figure out maybe there's something that God's trying to get me to understand that I need to connect to something different instead of always chasing this rabbit hole that I may never know. The second thing he does is he connects me as I join together in prayer. He connects me as I join together in prayer. In Acts 1, 12 through 14, it says the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives where they arrived and went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Aphelius, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. All the disciples, right? Women, Mary, Mother, and Jesus, all his brothers, big old group praying together. God wants us to connect through prayer. I think that there's some sort of purpose here for them all to be in the same room. Why didn't Jesus put them in individual rooms and meet with them one-on-one -on -one and talk to them in their lives? Why didn't Jesus have them go do it at their own homes? Well, he put them all in the same room for a reason. And I think that there's incredible benefit in praying with others. Because one, they can hear about what's going on in your life when you pray out loud. You can, you, can, you can know what goes on. In our college ministry, we do things on Monday nights called prayer walks. And our college students that are free, they go up to SIUE's campus and they'll walk around the campus and they'll pray for an hour together. And they'll break off in groups of, you know, certain groups each week or they'll go as a group together and, and they'll pray out loud. And what it does is it connects them to one another in a way that they wouldn't be able to know if they had not sat down and, and listened to what they talked to God about. 
Somebody could be praying about a relationship that they have. Somebody could be praying about a family member that's, that's in, in need. Somebody could be praying about a struggle in their life. And that just then connects them to everyone else in that circle to know the needs of that person. I think also praying out loud helps show if there's a genuineness in your prayers. That's something I've been guilty of. You know, I can, I can, I can pray about something out loud and have no genuine heart of the situation that I'm praying about. And it sounds very insincere, and that can also be an indication of where my heart's at with that situation. You know, I've prayed. <laughs> it's like if an alcoholic's like, oh, God, pray that I, I'm no longer an alcohol and, and pray that the Chiefs win the Super Bowl this year. I really want that. And, God, and then they go on with their life, and, and you're like, dude, I don't know if you're at, I don't know if you don't want to be an alcoholic anymore the way you talk to God like that, right? Like, it didn't really sound like a man who really doesn't want to be an alcoholic anymore. You threw it in a sentence with a Super Bowl game. You know, like, you threw it in a sentence with something that's very, doesn't really matter. And the way that you bring it about when you pray to God, the way that you present yourself to God, you know, and when you say it like that, it doesn't really seem like you're going to take it very seriously in your application, you know, as you walk through. And so even sometimes when you listen to the way people pray, that can be an indication. Listen to the way that you pray. It can be an indication of where your heart's really at with those issues. And people can bring accountability in on that. They all join together constantly in prayer. Can you only imagine what this circle is praying about? Man, I can't believe that I've been in Jesus. You know, God, please forgive me for what I did. How could I do something like that? Why would I do something like that? This is probably where they talk about their failures. God, please, I don't ever want to do that again. What do I need to do? Just give me the power to, to, to never turn my back on you, to support Jesus in everything I do with my life. Like, I'm sure that there were some prayers like that in that room at that time. And I'm sure it encouraged that whole circle to be in that same mindset. I'm sure it encouraged some sort of accountability afterwards of like, guys, like, let's, let's do this together. I'm sure it formed some sort of camaraderie to hear each other's prayers. So, you know, a challenge there is who do you pray with throughout the week? Do you, do you talk to people? Do you pray together? Do you get on the phone with somebody? Do you meet up with people? Or do you just pray alone? There is power in prayer when you connect to God's people, and he connects me as I join together with them in prayer. And then thirdly, he connects me as I put the past behind me. He connects me as I put the past behind me. Easier said than done, right? <laughs> just don't think about it anymore. It's in the past now, right? How can you not think about things? Uh, you know, when Kansas lost in the, in the March Madness tournament, I could not put that behind me. <laughs> I could not put that behind me for a couple days. I, I remember Cody had people over at his house that night, and I went over there, and I was like, it took literally every single thing inside of me to want to go to your house tonight, man. Because I just want to crawl in my bed and be like, they were the number one seed, like they had this solid team. How did this happen? And I could not put it behind me. I just wanted to think about it all the time. Don showed up to church with a, with a hat on for mourning because of Duke lost that same weekend. I was like, did you just come from a funeral? Well, it was at her house because she watched Duke lose just like I watched Kansas lose. And I was like, I feel your pain. We're never going to forget this. It's always going to be here, you know? And it's, 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 not, it's not easier to do it as easy as it is to say it. But there is a reality in it that the things that, the failures and the things that haunt us and hold us back in life we have to put behind us. 
we have to deal with them, then we have to move on. Look what it talks about here in Acts 1, a whole situation of dealing with something and moving on from it. Acts 15, 21. It says, In those days Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture has to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry with the payment he received for his wickedness. Judas bought a field. Though he fell headlong, his body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, for, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms. Okay, so I'm going to pause there for a minute. So it tells us right here, boom, this is what Judas did. It's in the past. They're bringing it back up. Now, I don't think putting the past behind you means burying crap. You've got to deal with it. But once it's been dealt with, you don't need to dig it back up. And what they're doing right now is they're dealing with the past because it happened and it has to be resolved. Judas did betray them. They are down a disciple. It's in the past, but it's being brought up so it can be resolved. A lot of you guys, and just like me with my dad's stuff, we've buried some stuff over the years that we have not really resurfaced to deal with. And that's part of the reason why maybe you feel like you're still failing or you don't feel like you can recover from failure is you have not dealt with your crap yet. And I'd encourage you, here at the Crossing Church, we have so many support ministries that help people deal with their stuff, to help people re-dig that stuff up just to deal with it. I know it's painful and I know it's hurtful, but man, once you deal with it in a godly way, you're done with it. And it won't haunt you anymore. The failure won't sit in you anymore. And you just deal with it. We have classes like Healing is a Choice, a great class. We have classes for recovering addicts. We have so many different things, but you've got to deal with your stuff. And that's the first thing you see here is that they're willing to deal with their stuff. Also, you don't see them picking apart, why did, you, why did Judas do this? We've got to figure out why. why. Why was he the way that he was? Sound familiar? We don't need to do that either. Why is he the way? They don't, it doesn't matter. What matters is it's in the past, it happened, we got to deal with it. So how do they deal with it? They read scripture. First written in the book of Psalms. May his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it. And may another take his place of leadership. Okay? So how do they put the past behind them? They bring it up to deal with it. They find a solution for it. And there's only one thing they can do because of it, which is the last sentence in verse 21. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time Lord Jesus was, was living among us. You see, there's a process of putting the past behind us. We've got to bring it up and deal with it. We've got to find scripture. We've got to find the truth to validate and support the past and let us work through it and move on from it and then we've got to just move on and do what God is calling us to do. And they did that exact same thing. And because of that, they find a man named Matthias, and they bring him in to their 12. And Matthias now becomes a disciple that chooses to work with them as they expand this ministry. And my challenge to you guys, especially you guys as parents in the room right now, is this is so important for us as we get a little bit older to deal with our past and to bring that stuff up. Because the reality is, is if they did not do this, if they got so focused 
on Judas, and they're like, why did Judas do this? we got to figure out why. Where his heart was at? Why? why? Like, let's spend all this time figuring out the whys and, and how that should never happen again. And, and they, they didn't waste any of their time on that because they knew that they wanted to keep the ball rolling. And they, so what they decided to do is they decided to find the next generation and say, this is, this is what Scripture says. We need to raise somebody up as somebody went out. And that's it. And parents... If you're not careful and you don't deal with your past, if you don't bring it up and deal with it and get rid of it, you will never raise up the next generation. Your kids will be shortchanged because you're so focused on trying to hide the past and bury the past and not deal with the past and be haunted by the past that your kids are going to suffer from it. I've seen so many times parents not deal with their stuff and their kids are the ones that take the beating for it. Why am I so angry? Why am I such an angry parent? Why do I yell at my kids all the time? It probably has something to do with your past that you never really dealt with. Now your kids are going to grow up thinking that you hate them or that you're just so performance-based or you just don't want a deep relationship, an intimate relationship with them. Why am I not intimate with my kids? Why don't I spend a lot of time with my kids? Why don't I truly love my, like I just want to hug them and I just want to love them, but there's something in me that just like, I'd rather do what I want to do. Well, there's probably something in your past you haven't dealt with yet. And until we can deal with our pasts, we will never be able to fulfill Scripture and raise up the next generation. And so it's so important, and for you kids that aren't parents yet, guess what will happen if you deal with that stuff now? You won't have to circle back around when you become a parent. If you deal with that hurting stuff now, you can heal from it now, and you'll never have to worry about that as parenting happens because God says you can put the past behind you and you can work for the things that God wants to store for your life and your future. He works for those people. God used Barnabas to help Paul put his past behind him. Think about Paul, right? Killed Christians. How do you put that behind you? <laughs> murder. Anybody in here murdered? How do you put that behind you? Man, I ended this person's life. But Paul didn't sit there and think, why, why am I like this? Why did I do that? Oh, it haunts me. I can't be a disciple. I can't change my life because my past. No, Paul brought it up. He dealt with it. And then he moved on. And because of that, we get to see the Paul that we see in Scripture that most of the New Testament books were written from that same apostle. The apostle of love, right? Paul dealt with his stuff. And then he didn't let it dictate the rest of his life. Guys, our pasts are too heavy to carry into our future. They are. A lot of us have got some pretty heavy pasts. So you need to unpack it, unload it, deal with it, and let it, let, it, let it lay and move on. And then and only then we'll be able to continue this life that God has put, in our, has put in store for us. Okay? And then lastly, our fourth point is that I become cognizant of the promises of God. Cognizant of the promises of God. That's just another fancy word of being aware, knowing. I know the promises of God. In Acts 1, God gives us two inspiring promises. And this is where we're going to end on today. Is all these failures, all these things that we talked about today, all these ways to deal with them, we can have some hope. We can have some promises. And the first one is that God promises to empower me to live faithfully in this life. We've talked about this earlier already. We've already read this verse in Acts 1, 6-8. It says, Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, 
Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times, the dates the Father has set by my own authority, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. God promises to empower us to live faithfully. That's a promise you can, you, can, you can take to the bank. That's a promise that you can know that despite your failures, God wants you to live faithfully, and he will give you the power to do that no matter what kind of failure is going on in your life, no matter what kind of background you have, no matter what you're dealing with. God promises if you deal with it in, in a way that he can give you the power to deal with it, you can live this life faithfully. And then secondly, God promises to provide me with an eternal life in the next. Now, how encouraging it to know that you can mess up and you can fail. And God says, there's still a place here for you. There's still a place for you in heaven. It doesn't matter how bad you've messed up. In Acts 1, 10, 11, it says, They were looking intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside him. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. This is a promise that you can live on, just like the disciples did. They literally left Jesus. They failed terribly. But they know in spite of sending Jesus to the cross and not backing him up and, and, and leaving, that he still comes back and is like, there is still a place in heaven for you. If Jesus can offer that same hope to people who physically turn their backs on him in the first century, would you not think that he would offer that to us as well? In all of our failures and all of our mistakes, God can give us the same kind of hope and God can give us the same kind of promise and that's for us and the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. But for you to receive those promises, guys, you've got to be connected into the power. And for you to have the power, it means you have to unplug yourself and surrender your life to live in his kingdom. And that happens through repentance. That happens through baptism. That happens through multiple things that go on in a relationship with God. And if you're wanting to know how to plug into that, I encourage you to pull out that communication card. That is your first step to knowing how to plug into something differently than you've seen your whole life. That is your opportunity to say, God, I know in my power, I can only take in so much. And it has been making me fail. It has been making me fall flat on my butt. It has been making me not enjoy life. I don't, I don't enjoy where I'm at right now. And it's because I know that the power that I can only produce by myself is not enough. So God, I just want to figure out how to get in touch with your power. I want to see what you can do with my life. I want to see how I can enjoy these things, how I can plug more in and be, be more stable. Maybe that's you just connecting it to some people. You've never really connected to people and maybe check on there that you just like to get interested in small groups to know some other people that are struggling like you. If there's an addiction, you're like, I just can't get past this. Maybe check that you'd like to get some help with our, with our ministries that help with addictions or whatever it may be. If there's an issue with your marriage, check something on there or indicate in that prayer section that you, you, know, you need some help with some other couples that maybe have, have some insight on how to use God's power in a marriage through you personally. Maybe it's just you taking a step to get some coffee 
or go out to lunch with somebody after church today to just get, just to get a little taste of what it could look like. I don't know where you're at today, guys, but I know one thing is for sure, like I said at the very beginning of the sermon, we all fail. And unless we have God's power working in us, we will continue to fail. But I would much rather fail with God's power because I know where it can lead me versus fail on my own accord because I know where the world takes me. And that's the question I'm going to leave you guys with today. So what we're going to do here in a minute is we're going to sing a song. And that's going to give you guys to uh, fill out that communication card. I really encourage you guys to fill out that card. And then they'll give you guys some further instructions uh, after they sing this first song. We'll sing a second song and we'll be done for the day. I'm grateful that you guys are here today. Thank you guys so much for coming today. Uh, Next week is Easter Sunday. I encourage you guys to invite anyone that you know. Think about all this power. Would this power not be great in your guys' families' lives? You know, your brothers and sisters, your moms and dads, your aunts and uncles, the people that are not here. Think about what this could do for them. Get them plugged into a healthy community. Invite whoever you know. Make a statement that this is the church I want to be at Easter Sunday, and I'm sure that families will come. Let's see what, let's see what this crowd looks like next Sunday. And let's see what the power of God can do in us. And let's see how we can change our failures into something that God wants us to use for his glory. Let's pray. God, I just want to thank you so much for, kind of like Cody said in the opening today, for second and third and fourth chances. God, I need them so often. I fail so much. Um, But God, I've had to learn my lesson falling on my face so many times that I can't ever get to where I need to be out of my own accord, out of my own power. I have to have your power. And God, I learned that, you know, I wish I would have learned a lot sooner, but I finally learned that through your grace and your resurrection and the power that you have, I've chosen to surrender my life to you, not just physically on the outside, but in my heart as well. And God, I pray that everyone in this room can look at their lives, look at their hearts, not look at their surroundings, but look at their hearts and say, how can I surrender to this power to help me with my failures? Thank you again for your son and the ultimate power of him dying on the cross to be resurrected so we could see an image of what real power looks like, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.